Hello, I'm Alina. Hello, I'm Janine. We're two sisters, two PhDs, relentlessly curious about too many things. This is Sister Doctor Squared. Welcome to episode four of Sister Doctor Squared. And before we get into things, as always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording this episode and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So Janine, I've just done a little spring clean of the office before starting this recording. Very excited to get into this episode, which came about, I think, because you read an interesting article. Yeah, so I came across this article by the ABC Science team, which was called House Always Messy, Just Blame It on the Second Law of Thermodynamics. Now, of course, I'm going to click on this link, aren't I, Alina? Physics. Right up my alley. And it's a really interesting article. It suggests that maybe universal forces are more to blame for mess and clutter than you yourself, maybe. Well, that's just great news. I know. Take that guilt away. Exactly. And I wrote down a quote from the article, which was that the chaos or disorder of the universe always tends to increase. And they go on to explain that basically the more stuff you have, the more ways it could be ordered or in fact disordered. So the article suggests that having an organization system of some sort could reduce the chaos. As in, if you have a place where things go and you always put them back in that place, you're continually working to reduce the disorder of the universe. And I took from that that the more stuff you have, the more ways in which it can be disordered than it can be ordered. That's right. So you're just inevitably gravitating towards chaos and clutter. Yes. So... If I just get rid of every single thing I own, <laughs> then there can be no clutter. Yes. Well, there There's are. There's the solution. There are versions of extreme minimalism that do try to do just that. Well, I think we've solved this problem. So <laughs> that was a good episode. <laughs> well, I really would encourage people to go and read this neat little piece because they do go into more detail about order and disorder and then how it relates to a tidy home. So it's pretty cool. But for our purposes, we really wanted to go deeper and look at some of the primary literature and specifically... Let's see, what research has been done around clutter and mess? Is it really that bad for us? And if so, what can we do about it? Mm. And so what did you find, Janine? Well, the paper I focused on was titled The Dark Side of a Home, Assessing Possession Clutter on Subjective Wellbeing. It was by Roster and colleagues, published in 2016 in the Journal of Environmental Psychology. There's lots of really interesting information in the introduction around just how we define a home. It was interesting because I haven't really thought about that. You, you have this sense of what home is, but when you have to define it, it's quite difficult. So people may want to go and have a look at this paper to read all of those details. Of course, we'll put everything up on the website. But my summary was that a home is a physical place providing shelter and safety, but it's much more than that too. It's a place of memories, a place of setting and realizing goals, a place of cementing relationships, a place of stability, emotional comfort a reflection of your personal values, and so on and so forth. So it's really quite a nebulous concept, what is home. And when they took this broader view, 
they referred to it as psychological home. So when I talk about okay. it in that way, that's what I'm talking about. Not just the physical bricks and mortar, but this whole broad concept of what is home. Sure. And in that way, it's a source of, well, it is both a source and a reflection of our identity. And past research has shown that. Obviously, it's the place where we store our possessions. And other studies have shown that our stuff is a reflection and extension of ourselves. Of course. And that our stuff, for the most part, can help strengthen our connection to the home. But sometimes we may start to accumulate so much stuff that we go into the territory of clutter. And they defined clutter as an overabundance of possessions that collectively create chaotic and disorderly living. Basically, if the clutter becomes high enough, this may overwhelm the spaces. So the researchers wanted to see how does clutter affect one's experience of their home and moreover, how does clutter affect their overall well-being? Okay. So they came up with a series of hypotheses that they go on to test within the paper, but I want to just drill down on the last two, and they were specifically that possession clutter has a negative impact on psychological home, and also possession clutter has a negative impact on subjective well-being. And when we say subjective well-being, we mean someone's actual reported levels of well-being. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what did they do? They focused in on adults with mild to severe issues with clutter. And this did include some people with severe hoarding tendencies. And they worked alongside an organization called the ICD, and that's the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. And this is a body that helps people affected by poor organization. And they have many professional organizers as members. So the ICD helped them basically recruit participants and the participants completed an online survey. In total, there was just under 1,400 participants and there was a range of ages from 21 years all the way up until 84 years old, mostly women respondents. They also restricted the participants to be just from the US or Canada and they did this intentionally to reduce the impact of any potential cultural differences. Okay. And so when you say these were obviously people who had some issues with clutter, but it did range from mild issues all the way yes. up to quite severe issues. Okay. It's basically people that have gotten in touch with this organization or in touch with professional organizers listed with the organization to access help. So they themselves feel they have some degree of an issue with clutter. Okay. So the negative impact of clutter on an individual's life was measured using the clutter quality of life scale. And this is a questionnaire that's been developed by the ICD organization itself. In there, there are a series of questions assessing different factors and respondents had to select how much they agreed or disagreed with particular statements. In terms of that idea of the psychological home, one of the statements was, I feel more relaxed when I'm at home. So they had to just decide how much do they agree or disagree with that statement. And also, I take pride in the place where I live. And then in terms of the clutter, they had a series of statements. And some examples were, I avoid having people come to my home because of the clutter. I feel overwhelmed by the clutter in my home. And I can't find things when I need them because of clutter. And finally, they had questions to look at their satisfaction with life. And this was really the proxy for that subjective well-being. So a few examples from there were, in most ways, my life is close to ideal or I am satisfied with my life. And finally, if I could live my life over, I would change almost nothing. So really mm -hmm. trying to get at how happy are they in general? What's that level of subjective well-being? They then used a technique called structural equation modeling. 
And this is where they systematically tested the different hypotheses. Basically, what this means is that those aspects of psychological home and also well-being, they become the important aspects and they are seeing what other aspects might be related to these. And then they go even deeper to see to what level are they related to those factors. So they generated a particular model and they showed that it had what's called good fit of the data. And basically this means that when they plug these different factors into the model, they did explain very well one's experience of psychological home and their well-being. So overall, what we're seeing is that their hypotheses were supported. More clutter negatively affected one's experience of their home, and it was also associated with poorer reported levels of overall well-being. And a quote from the paper was, clutter has a strong negative impact on feelings of security, safety, and other positive emotional benefits derived from a sense of psychological home, including subjective well-being. Okay. So they then go on to discuss how clutter can impede your ability to do things in your home with ease. It can lead to tension among family members. Your home may no longer feel like a place of rest and relaxation, and it may no longer be somewhere you're comfortable inviting people over to. So overall, pretty strong support for the hypotheses. There were some limitations of the study. The fact that they recruited the participants through that ICD organisation. Yeah, of course. We're heavily biased towards people who themselves feel they have some level of issue with clutter and that they're reaching out for support for that. And perhaps it could be that whatever issues may be affecting their subjective well-being are also affecting their tendency to hoard or collect. That's right. Yes. So these results may not extend to the broader population of all people that have some clutter in their home. We're honing in on people that have sought help for this issue. And in the same way, it's biased towards people that can access that help. So higher income earners and also women more likely to be seeking help for this issue. Yeah, that's right. And even the very definition of what home is would vary a lot by culture. Absolutely. So in this case, it's educated high-income earners in a high-income country and what home is to this population might be very different to what home is to others. Absolutely. So yeah, overall the paper confirmed that clutter is certainly a problem for many people and that finding ways to overcome it would be beneficial for that experience of psychological home and also overall well-being. But it was beyond the scope of the paper to discuss useful ways to deal with clutter. Um, They mentioned in the discussion that professional organisers should be employed and that they can help people with things like dispossession rituals. Very interesting. Okay, well, that actually leads really well into the paper that I looked at. Fancy that. And this study that I'm going to tell you about is actually on the KonMari decluttering method. So KonMari registered trademark. Yes. Being that derived by Mari Kondo, Japanese home organization consultant, who is now hugely popular with her Netflix series and, of course, her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which I know you have read, Janine. I have, and I have also – I haven't watched the entire Netflix series, but I have watched various episodes, and I have also made my eight-year-old watch various episodes as somewhat of a cautionary tale. (laughs) (laughs) It's been quite effective. I've enjoyed a few episodes too. So definitely as we're recording this episode at the end of 2020, Mari Kondo's teachings are quite 
the rage in many circles. Yep. But does it work, Janine? Mm. So this study looks at people's experience of using the KonMari method of decluttering. The paper is by a single author, Sin San Meg Lee, and it was published in 2017 in the Advances in Consumer Research Journal. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who might not be familiar with KonMari, the method is marketed as a way of decluttering your material possessions in the pursuit of happiness and tranquility in your life. Okay. One of the key features of KonMari is considering whether an item sparks joy in deciding whether to keep it or discard it. What does sparking joy mean? Well, exactly. (laughs) And we'll get to that. So just sit tight, Janine. Yes. I know you've got a lot to say on this topic. So (laughs) as well as this sparking joy premise in keeping or discarding items, KonMari involves various organization tips that are offering sort of tidy and clever storage solutions of your various household items just to keep things very organized in an ordered and quite practical way, I think, in many respects, and such that each item has its place in the overall, I guess, ecosystem of your space. Mm -hmm. Is that about right, Janine? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Now, this is a fully qualitative study. Mm -hmm. So we haven't talked about any qualitative research on this podcast yet, so that's exciting. It is. So qualitative research essentially means that the data we're talking about are not numbers. It's a method of research to explore attitudes, opinions, and experiences in a lot more detail than you can by quantitative methods alone, like more basic surveys and measurements. And it's usually by doing interviews with people or focus groups with groups of people or other methods that give you more in-depth information about what it is you want to know. So in this study, Lee did interviews with 11 women who self-identified as practicing KonMari in some way. So some were total converts who did all the steps of KonMari as prescribed and some had given up partway through trying it out or were using some bits of the methods and just adapting it as it suited them. Mm. So it's a small sample size as is very standard with qualitative research, but still with a range of participants in terms of how faithfully they were practicing KonMari. So these women were in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and they had to have been documenting their decluttering in some way through pictures, blogs, videos, diaries, which the author used in the analyses. Now, I don't know where this study took place. It's not reported in the paper. Mm. So missing that kind of context is a bit of a bummer. Yes. We can probably safely assume this study was done in another high-income country The author's institution is in London, so it's probably there, but it's just not clear in the paper. Mm -hmm. It is quite a short report, I will add. Mm -hmm. So the study used a descriptive phenomenology approach, which basically means exploring and describing people's lived experience of something. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's of using KonMari. So Lee has organized the main themes of what she found in the interviews around the steps in the KonMari method as well as around the concepts of possession, organization, and dispossession, which are concepts in consumer research. So what did she find? Mm. Well, there were four major themes, joy-sparking items, Mm -hmm. personified objects, possession or dispossession, and act of decluttering and organizing. 
So let me talk you through these, Janine. Okay. When it came to the concept of joy-sparking items, everyone had their own interpretation of what sparking joy means. It is a very fuzzy concept after all. Yeah. For example, some of the women could find joy purely in the aesthetics of an object. Yes. Some couldn't understand at all how an object could ever spark joy. Mm -hmm. And some thought that if an item has some practical purpose, then that was a form of joy for them. Mm. So clearly this is very subjective and it's going to vary a lot across individuals. Mm. If I was going to throw out things that didn't spark joy, I would throw out my toothbrush, (laughs) which is probably (laughs) ill-advised. I would throw out all of my bills. Oh, yeah. Tax stuff, get rid of it. That doesn't spark any joy. That's a reasonable defense in a tax audit, surely. <laughs> Taxman, Marie Kondo said I can do this. She <laughs> and said all- it would be the answer to all my problems in life. Uh, yeah, I'll also add to that all of the washing up. Just chuck it out. Oh, yeah. Mm. Doesn't spark oh, we'll any joy. We'll get back to that because that introduces another problem. But look, it does. I would, also th- I would also throw out my microwave. It doesn't spark joy. It has... <laughs> An incredible ability to heat the bowl that the food is in to quite a high temperature and leave the food itself stone cold. That doesn't spark joy. That sparks sheer frustration and skin burns. (laughs) Probably one day soon, literal sparks. I don't think it's the best microwave given its performance. (laughs) It is over 10 years old. Okay. But look, how does it have such targeted and discriminate heating, Janine? I think it may be something to do with the actual bowl. Do you notice this in different types of bowls? A specific bowl. I need to run an experiment because this is simultaneously frustrating and interesting. Look, this is a tangent, but my understanding of microwaves is that they are heating up the water content of the food. There you go. So if that bowl's quite porous, maybe there's a bit more moisture in there and other bowls maybe wouldn't do it. So you can go and explore that, Alina, and report back. I think I might, maybe for an inner square. Look, I think, ding, ding, that's probably our first real tangent (laughs) of Sister Doctor Squared. (laughs) I got to episode four. It's pretty good. Okay, look, let's come back to the task at hand. Sparking joy. So, yes, under the joy sparking criterion, I would throw out my toothbrush Mm. and my microwave and I wouldn't throw out any one of my 35 or so scarves from my scarf collection because all of my scarves spark immense joy. So, okay, it's a problematic concept and it's going to vary. Yes. Look, as you said, I have read the book and I have had a go at doing a lot of what she suggested and the joy sparking, I would agree that it was quite fuzzy. You know, there's the odd thing that you look at a necklace given to you by your mum and you think, yeah, that sparks joy. It's really special to me. But other things, eh. So I certainly tweaked that to be, I'm going to just flip it around and say what things make me feel bad. They're the things I don't want to keep. So, you know, maybe an unused gift, something that makes me feel guilty when I look at it. They're the things I found, if I flipped the concept around, I found it helpful. Yes. Okay. So, sparking joy done. Now, another area was around personified objects. So, with KonMari, the practice is to treat objects as a person, to feel a bond with them. And if they don't spark joy, then you thank it for its service and you throw it away. Mm. Now. Many of the women, including the pure KonMari converts, found this very hard to comprehend. Mm. One of the quotes from the women in this study was, 
I must confess, I have never thanked my payslips or my t-shirt for a job well done. (laughs) I know she said that we should treat all items as if they have feelings and personalities, but I just can't resonate with that. Why would a payslip have feelings? (laughs) I understand that we need to show appreciation, but I just can't go that far. Yeah. Some women were a bit more on board with this concept. So again, it's certainly going to vary across cultures and religions. Mm -hmm. And for some people, this could be quite a natural thing. But by and large, in this study, it seemed more so a confusing concept. Okay, now possession or dispossession. So under Mm. KonMari, you only keep something if it makes you happy. Mm -hmm. So the prescribed framing is more around deciding what to keep. But most of the participants found it easier to think about what to throw away than Mm. what to keep. So does that make sense, Janine? Yeah, I would agree with that. So it's like, imagine you put all your stuff in a huge pile and you say, all of this is getting thrown out. I'll just go through and pick out what other things I want to keep. So some Mm. might find this deeply uncomfortable. Yes. And would rather have all their stuff in a big pile and say, no, I'll just pick out what I'm going to throw away, but otherwise yes. it's all staying. So this is why I don't even approach my scarf collection <laughs> because there's no – I don't need to think about it. None of them are going. <laughs> now, this part of the KonMari process, the throwing things away, was what participants enjoyed the most. Mm. Many found this very uplifting – And it did provide a sense of happiness, okay? So, and now finally, the act as a whole of decluttering. Now, KonMari is pitched as this once-in-a-lifetime act, this highly transformative exercise after which you will be free of clutter forevermore. Mm. That's a big promise. Yeah. So did it ring true? No. Only one of the participants agreed with this notion fully. Yeah. Most struggled to maintain their decluttered space and they had to continually use KonMari or mm. another method mm. after the initial big clean out. Yeah. Makes sense. However, Janine, a prominent finding across all participants was a genuine change in the way they thought about tidying up. Uh. Yeah. So instead of it being a mundane, burdensome yeah. activity, yeah. they found it kind of pleasant. Yeah, I would agree with that too. There you go. Definitely, yep. And for some, it was just part of their way of life moving forward. Mm. Here's a quote. Mm-hmm. I dreaded to start, though I've heard about it for so long. The week that I finally put myself through it, I was just so happy. Mm. I felt like I've done something for myself and now I'm living a happier, less stressful life because of that. So in sum, although they experienced some challenges, decluttering via the KonMari method or some variant of it Mm -hmm. as they adapted it seemed to be a positive experience for this group of people. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, these were people who already had some desire to declutter because they'd mm. sought out KonMari of their own accord. Yep. So naturally, they are probably going to enjoy it when they have achieved their goal of decluttering. So we're not saying that everyone who tries KonMari will feel happiness. Mm, true. What I took from this study is that if you use KonMari, you will probably adapt it to suit your belief system and values, mm-hmm. and that's totally okay. Yeah. And so if you have a desire to declutter, then however you wish to do it, whatever your chosen decluttering methodology, 
probably doesn't matter. Mm. So long as you are actually getting rid of some things, mm-hmm. then you can probably invite that sense of happiness, calm, order, and refreshment that is the promise of KonMari. Mm-mm. I think certainly if you want or think you would benefit from what is a very structured, linear, systematic framework yes. in your decluttering adventures, then this might be the method for you. Yes. Even though some of the concepts are highly subjective because you'll make of them what you will and do some cherry picking, right, Janine? Oh, I absolutely did. I mean, there's a conflict for me with a lot of what Marie Kondo suggests just with sustainability because... Yes, and I did trust that you would bring this up, Janine, and I'm very (laughs) pleased you did. Go ahead. Well, there's just never any discussion of what to do with these items you're not keeping anymore. Well, in fact, under KonMari, if an item doesn't spark joy, you thank it for its service and toss it away, and at that point, no one else can own it. So this Mm. is strict KonMari that you can't recycle or sell it because that implies continued financial attachment to you as the owner. So basically it goes to landfill. I don't really remember that from the book, but I'm thinking I just you blocked it out because you were so horrified. Exactly. I think I've repressed no, I think I've repressed that memory so deeply. I really yep. don't remember that because I would just never it just doesn't compute for me. So No. In even when you watch the show and people are bundling up just absolute huge piles of stuff and it's all in plastic bags, that just makes me shudder yeah and there's you know where are they going and what's happening to the plastic bag after it's opened and that's right so there is a conflict there and in the study although they did get a sense of happiness in letting go of things these Mm. women did feel guilty throwing away what was usable objects so they really did throw them out yeah well these were the ones at least the ones who were you know, practicing the method fully as intended. So obviously anyone who has an interest in sustainability isn't going to be okay with that part of the process. Yes. And as you know, Alina, my favorite time of year is the garage sale trail and verge collection time. Oh yeah. This has become a family tradition. Oh, it's just like there's perfectly good things that somebody doesn't want being put outside for you to decide if you would like them. And half my house is decorated with these items and I see beauty in that recycling and reusing of things. That sparks joy for me. Exactly. So you have adapted the process. Totally. Which which seems to be what everybody's doing. Yes. And do you know what I really did? And I don't remember if this is in the book as much. I don't think it is. But I really took on board some of these ideas with the initial purchasing decisions. So let's go way back before we even own this thing and ask some of these questions. How does this make me feel? Does this add value to my life? What does the end life of this item look like? Is it a sustainable purchase? And that's helped me hugely because sometimes something might look pretty and spark some joy, but I've asked some other questions about that I've just explained and maybe I don't actually need it. Yeah. And another thing, this paper didn't really go into the organizing tips that KonMari oh, yes. recommends. And I think some of those are really good. We're definitely doing the the towel yes. organizing and the way in which the clothes are folded in a drawer oh, yeah. so that you can see everything at a glance. Yes. Yeah. That is Ab- some good So they stuff. didn't even talk about that in the study. Not really. I found that one of the most useful parts. And I've done that with my little boy and it's been maintained. That surprised yeah. me. Now- So this study has only looked, obviously, at one decluttering method. So I think a study that compares different methods with the Mm. largest sample size would be quite interesting. Totally. Let's look at what are the best. Maybe maybe yours can be one, the Janine method. (laughs) (laughs) And 
also this is only really looking at your house, but surely these principles could be applied to your office space. Janine, you need to apply them to your car. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> your garage, whatever it might be. So there you go. I also I just really like folding clothes. <laughs> so now Oh yes. And you now do. that I have this really neat way of doing it, I like it even more. And you, that's right, because you love packing for a trip because that involves a lot of very conscious folding so that you can be very space efficient with all the things you need to pack. And I hate packing for a trip. This is (laughs) very stressful for me. I don't know why. But this works well. Do you remember a couple of times when I've, when you lived in another city and I would come to visit you and then I would be going home and I would just throw my hands up in the air and go, I don't want to pack, I'm stressed out, and Janine would pack for me. It was brilliant. And I'll be like, I will very happily take on this challenge and get everything into that suitcase. Because it would be I'd come over with one suitcase and then obviously buy Mm. a bunch of stuff and Mm. then not be able to fit it in one suitcase going home, but you would take it as a personal challenge to get everything into that suitcase and you would do it. (laughs) Amazing. I've never failed once. Amazing. Okay, so today's Inner Square is actually very much in line with the topic of the episode because we recently did a long overdue decluttering activity at our childhood home. (laughs) So this Inner Square is going to be a bit of a joint storytelling exercise. Yes. And so if you're like us, you may have left many of your things at your childhood home. Well, the day will come, my friends, when you need to go and deal with all that stuff. (laughs) And for us, this day came recently. Yes. And I was just stunned at how much stuff I had left behind. I know. It's bizarre. You leave and you just don't take all your things and you have this idea, well, I don't actually want or need them but I'm not ready to part with them. I don't know. And then it goes, what, 20 years? Yes, and then you promptly forget about them all. Yeah. So I thought it was just a few items, but there was almost a room full of my stuff and stuff (laughs) that I don't even remember making a decision about keeping (laughs) and that I would have assumed that I ditched it years ago. So clearly my threshold for what I choose to keep and discard has changed a lot. Yes. So the highlights for me in this decluttering escapade was the (laughs) filing cabinet full of what I would say was every university assignment I'd ever written. (laughs) Why I needed to keep these, I don't know. (laughs) I have the electronic copies all on file Mm. and it's so far removed from how I am now because I'm completely paperless now. I make a point not to keep paper documents. Everything is electronic. So why I was keeping them, I don't know. But a better question, Janine, and maybe a more perplexing question, is why did I feel the need to place every single assignment in its own fancy folder? I know. I was like, what What are all these folders of things? It must be, I don't know, data from past research. No, it's every single assignment you've ever done. Yeah. And I'm not talking about just a thin plastic sleeve. I mean a hard plastic document holder with the binder clip on the side. One of these for each and every assignment. How did I even fund this practice back then? I don't know. My question is I would never have even handed in an assignment in a plastic folder. But if I was to want to do this, I would have had a small bank of, say, five and just recycled them. That's fine. But no, you you just kept buying more. I I don't, I don't, I can't explain this. I really can't. (laughs) 
And so it took us, we spent about 45 minutes taking yep. all of the papers out of the folders, yes. separating the staple, yes. recycling what we could. Yes. And now I've got this big box of hard plastic folders that I have no use for because I'm paperless. Yes. They're probably worth a bit of money. Op shop. Yep. So there you go. That's my inner square to the extreme, really revealing my inner square of my university days. Yes. Well, I mean, I got super excited to find all your old assignments. You may remember. Yeah, you were more excited than I was. <gasps> oh, I didn't let's care. Let's go through them and see how much you've developed as a writer. And you were like, why? I've got my PhD now. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember saying that. Yes. Well, and I did consider sneakily taking a few just for my own amusing purposes to see how you've oh, developed. That's but I didn't. Nice. I, 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 I read the odd paragraph. It was very good. Yeah, I don't think I've improved much. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the same. I think my highlight was finding the ultra mini tape recorder with mini cassette. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, now, this is showing our age, obviously, but I mm. remember buying this to record lectures. So we're going back in time to before lecture recordings. If you wanted to hear what was in the lecture, you had to be there. And if you wanted a record of it, you had to take that into your own hands. And I bought that little recorder and it was really expensive. It was, you know, when you go into those tech shops and there's things that are locked up in the glass cabinets. Oh, and you need to ask for assistance from a member of staff. It was one of those, Alina. I Mm. saved up and bought that little thing. And I recorded a lot of lectures and would go over them, make sure I hadn't missed anything. But then when I opened it to see what cassette was in it, it was a psych lecture so it was actually yours and then I remembered I'd passed it on to you I did use it I think in third year now some Mm. lectures at this point were being recorded but no I needed to have control over my lecture (laughs) recordings and (laughs) take the lead with that and I think what was it psych three one something yeah like what let me see what that was I've got well, them all. I started, I've got them I all listen- in front of me on my computer. I started listening to it and it was it just sounded so boring. <laughs> so it was about three one two zero Principles yes, it- of Psychological Assessment. Okay. Well, they were talking about the different types of scientific validity. Now oh, look, yes. I know that's super important, but it was just seemed like such a dry and boring lecture. Yes. Content validity, criterion validity, face validity. <laughs> You think that's boring. Let me tell you, listeners, about a story. When I was in high school, Janine was in uni, and mm-hmm. she took me along to one of her lectures just to see what uni was like. Oh, yes, and I remember that. I went to one of your, I guess it was one of your botany lectures, and sat there mm. for an entire hour talking about seagrass. <laughs> now, that's at that point, I. High school science does not go into this level of detail, how it's possible to talk for an hour on seagrass. And I think that was just part one of two lectures. (laughs) I think it probably was. So I I remember that saying, come with me to uni. You'll see what it's like. It's so awesome. You'll love it. And how did you feel after that? (laughs) I wasn't interested in seagrass. And I guess we need to send our heartfelt apologies to Dad for taking almost 20 years to finally clear out of his house. It's done now. It's sorted. Yes. Well, I think it's 
about time to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us. Details of the studies we've talked about will be available on our website, which is www.sisterdoctorsquared.com with all words spelt in full. And you can follow along on Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to connect with you. And if you have had experience with a decluttering method and there's something in the scientific literature we can look at, then let us know. And as we said earlier, if that doesn't work for you, just get rid of everything you own. (laughs) Then you won't have any clutter. (laughs) Problem solved. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. See you next time.